Regeneration. Regeneration is a really big word. It's a really big word that carries a really big idea. The genesis of the word regeneration is, is biological. It's a word that means new life or the restoration of new material like when the tail of a lizard grows back or the skin on your hand regrows after a cut or an abrasion. The word carries a much deeper meaning in the world of theology, in the world of the gospel, in the world of the church. And in particular, the idea is that the gospel message brings life to the unsaved, brings life to those who are dead. Bible scholar and teacher J.I. Packer says of regeneration, he says, Regeneration is the spiritual change wrought in the heart of man by the Holy Spirit in which he or in which his or her inherently sinful nature is changed so that he or she can respond to God in faith and live in accordance with his will. It extends to the whole nature of man altering his governing disposition, illuminating his mind, freeing his will, and renewing his nature. When we look at the section of Paul's letters from Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in about verse uh, 15, down through, Gen or through Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, when we look at this section of Scripture, Regeneration is the theme. New life is what Paul is talking about. I want us to take a look at this passage this morning from three perspectives. Perspective one is a, a contrast of two realities. Perspective two is, is five words. Five words that Paul mentions here that make a difference and perspective three is how do we respond how do we respond to this new reality Ephesians chapter 1 I'm going to begin reading in verse 15 I neglected to say that when I walked up here so I'll give you a second if you've not found it I don't hear pages turning and I don't see anybody's face lit up like they've got their phone still moving things around so whether you have it open or have it on or reading from the screen let me read to you from uh, Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to begin in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you may know what is the hope which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. 
far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things, he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, And you were dead in trespasses and sin, in which, you, in which you once walked following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying about the, the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I want to start our thinking this morning from this passage right in the very center of it. Because in the middle of this passage lies the primary theme that I think we can build the two ends around. What we see in the center of this passage is a contrast of two realities. A contrast of two realities. Reality number one is what Paul calls death. Death in trespasses and sins. We pick this up in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. You know, I remember when I was a kid, there was this huge cemetery in the center of the town where my grandparents lived. We were young, and my granddaddy would play this joke on us as we would, we would drive through the graveyard. Every time we would stop by one specific grave, I, I guess you could call it like a small mausoleum or something, it's a big concrete building. We'd walk up to it, look inside, and we could see the vault of the person who was entombed there. Now, my granddaddy knew the man who was buried there. I don't remember his name, so for the sake of this story, we'll just call him Old Man Jones. But granddaddy, granddaddy would pull to the front of this little building. He'd tell us to get out of the car, run up, knock on the glass door, and ask Old Man Jones what he was doing for supper. Or if he was going fishing in the morning. Or sometimes he'd just say, go up there and say, what you doing, old man Jones? Well, of course, we'd get no response. 
Granddaddy would just laugh, tell us to get on back in the car. We'll try again another day. Before long, we were asking Granddaddy to take us back up there to check on old man Jones. We hadn't heard from him in a while, and we were worried about him. <laughs> Took us a few weeks to finally realize old man Jones didn't live in that concrete block box. <laughs> he was, in fact, very, very dead. And he had been for a long time. Here's the point I want to make. We were kids in a graveyard, and it took us weeks to realize that everybody who lived there was actually dead. And today, we struggle with the biblical truth that men, women, children, teenagers, we're not just people who need a new outlook on life. We're not just people who need to get our lives straightened out or just do the right thing. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 1. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest, like the rest of mankind. We struggle to understand that the lost world does not need fixed. They need regenerated. The lost world is not broken. It's dead. Look with me at how Paul describes the state of deadness. First, he says, you're dead, as in no life, no spiritual life, dead in trespasses and sin, in, remember, as opposed to or in contrast with one of the spiritual blessings that Paul tells us about in the earlier chapters, or in the earlier chapter of, verse, of chapter 1, we are in Christ, but here he says we are dead in sin which you Paul says once walked Paul is reminding Paul is reminding the Ephesian church that they walked they lived their lives in this manner you were dead very much like spiritual zombies those who are not disciples of Christ are still walking in this manner Following, Paul says, following the, the course of the world. Following after the course of the world. The lost, the world out there, the lost, they do worship. They do serve a master. They do commit their entire lives to a cause. That master cause, though, is the world. And the world, James 4, 4 says, makes itself an enemy of God. And then he says, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Beloved, there's no other way to say this. 
There's no other way to say this. If you are not a God follower, you are a Satan follower. There is no in-between. It doesn't matter if you sacrifice cats on the winter solstice and have tattoos of goat's head pentagrams on your forehead or you're the sweet little old grandma who makes the best homemade chocolate chip cookies on the planet. You either follow and worship Christ or you follow and worship the enemy, the devil, Satan. There is no in-between. Paul says we demonstrated this because we once lived in the passions of our flesh. We lived in the passions of our self. This is a life turned in on itself. It's a, it's a self-centered confidence that you have no need for God. You have no need for the body of Christ. No need for anything other than you. It stands in opposition to our being filled with the Holy Spirit who then becomes our becomes our strength you see the the lost world only need only need themselves i wish paul had finished there but he didn't he goes on and says that the dead carry out the desires of the body and of the mind carry out the the desires of the body paul in galatians chapter 5 gives us a glimpse of what the desires of the body produce what the desires of the body produce. He gives us a glance, a glance in Galatians 5, and here's some of the things he says. It produces sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envies, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And he says, you were by nature you were by nature children of wrath Jesus makes this clear in John chapter 3 we all know verse 16 I would encourage you to memorize verse 17 18 and 19 because there's where Jesus says God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that in order that the world might be saved through him Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Listen to what Jesus says here. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. That light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than light. Because their works are evil. Beloved, we must understand the first reality is that if we are not followers of Christ, if we are not believers, if we are not Christians, we are dead. We are dead. And because we are dead, sin, sin is our only option. And because sin is our only option, we stand condemned we don't decide to reject Christianity and be condemned. We are condemned already. We are condemned, David says, from birth. And we will be until new life, until new life is given. And that brings us to the second reality that contrasts. And this is that we are being made 
alive. We are being made alive in Christ. Beloved, my two favorite words, my two favorite words in the entire canon of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, my favorite two words are the first two words in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. But God, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, but God, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that, being, so that in the coming ages, in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. But God, look at the way Paul describes the regenerate one, the one who has been given new life, the person who was dead in their sins, but now he is being made alive in Christ. Look at these descriptions. He says, we are the receiver of God's rich mercy. We are the receiver. He is the one who has given lavished his rich mercy why because of his great love immeasurable unfathomable his great mercy his great love look what he says we are made we are made God is making us this doesn't say we make ourselves it says God has taken a personal and intimate interest in making us making us what alive alive real life eternal life abundant life life that never ends we are made alive together together you you, beloved, we're not alone. We're now, we're now part of a, a greater cause, part of a, a greater purpose. We are together in the body of Christ, and this life now transcends my flesh, transcends my desires, transcends my passions. We are being made alive together with Christ. No more death. No more death in sin. No more death in trespasses. No more death, but now we have life in Christ. Unity and oneness with Him. Father, how is this possible? By grace, He says, you've been saved. By grace, you have been saved. The full 
extent. Remember, we are by nature children of wrath. The full extent of God's eternal wrath. All measures of condemnation. All measures of death and separation and exile from God's presence has been absorbed by Christ and is no longer yours to bear. By grace you are saved. I'm glad he didn't stop there because he says, and you've been raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places. Think about this for a moment. Your seat, your seat is already reserved at the supper table of the Lamb. Your home is built. Your name is on the mailbox. You are for all intents already a citizen of heaven. There's only one. There's only one source of regenerating life, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, his death, his resurrection, his mercy, his love, his acceptance, his unity, his, his hope. So how do we get there? How do we go from death to life? I think if we skim this passage, we're going to find five words scattered throughout these verses that give us this picture, that tell us how we come to life. The first of those words is found in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. Here, Paul is repeating a prayer. This whole passage here at the end of chapter 1 is a prayer that he says often for the Ephesian church. And the first portion of that prayer, Paul says this, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Revelation in the knowledge of Him. Revelation. Beloved, we must come to understand. We must embrace the reality that had God not told us about Himself, if God had not told us about His creating, His sustaining, His love, if God had not told us about His Son, had God not revealed Himself to us, we could not. It is impossible. We could not know eternal truth. We would not know Christ. We would not know truth. We would not know life. And so Paul is praying that the spirit of wisdom will continue to reveal to the church the deep truths of God. Revelation. Before we can be regenerated, before new life can come, we must have the truth revealed to us. The second word is found in verse 18, chapter 1, verse 18. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. The hope to which he has called you. Folks, we live in a world that is struggling at a cataclysmic scale 
Kids are afraid to go to school. We have had to hire an officer to patrol our church on Sunday mornings. We can't trust our government. We can't trust the system. Health care is in a shamble. Everything in this world that we should expect to cling to has fallen or is falling apart. And so Paul says that our eyes, he prays that our eyes would be open to hope. Real, genuine, true hope that is found in Christ and Christ alone. As the old hymnist says, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. Hope. Hope's not wishful thinking. It's not wishful thinking. It is foundational certainty in the truth revealed by God in regard to eternal life that is in Christ. It is knowing that I know that I know Christ is alive. Christ has redeemed and I am alive in Him. Revelation, hope. The third word is found in verse 19. Chapter 1, verse 19. He continues his prayer. And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power? Of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. You know, folks, I've met, I've met some pretty strong people in my life. And one of the strongest I believe I've ever met is a lady named Millie. She was a member of the church that we served in North Carolina. Her body was already wrecked by cancer when we met her. She probably came to church only a handful of times in the years that we were there, and she, she passed away just a, a few months before we moved. But Billy was, without a doubt, one of the strongest people I've ever known. Her body was weak and feeble, but her heart was pure and beautiful. She gave God praise with every breath. I don't think there was a single time that I visited her when she did not ask me how my, my family was doing and telling me that she was praying for me and praying for my family and her family, praying for her church. She was a powerhouse in a small-framed, muscle-less body. Her power came from a different source, came from a different source than most. She lived until her last breath. She lived in the power of the resurrection of Christ. And if we are going to experience genuine regeneration, if we are going to pass from death and trespasses and sin to life in Christ, then we must embrace the revelation of God. We must place all our hope in Christ and we must be empowered by the Spirit of the resurrected Jesus. Revelation, hope, and power. There's two other words that we need to look at quickly this morning. And they come from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, after Paul has prayed this prayer, after Paul has talked about the, the two contrasting realities, death to sin, death in sin, and life in Christ, he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for by grace, and that's the next word, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that's the fifth word. This is not of your own doing. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Grace and faith. Grace is God's gift of life to humanity. And faith is God's gift to humanity to embrace and surrender to His, His loving salvation. Friends, the focus of this verse the focus of this verse is that salvation, salvation is a gift of God and that we, we who believe and follow Christ have absolutely nothing to offer, nothing to boast of. Verse 9 clearly says that this new regenerate life is not a result of works. It's not a result of my effort, my goodness, my ability. It is not of works so that no one so that no one can boast grace is God extending his revelation his hope his power to us and faith is us resting in those things to embrace his grace I appreciate one, what one author says of these verses grace is of him him being God Grace is of Him. Faith is of Him. Our union with Christ is of Him. The works we, are, we do are of Him. The intention to do them is of Him. So there can be no boasting or pride, but only acknowledgement of the kindness of the gift of God. This evening in our Digging Deeper Hour, we'll spend some time discussing further the relation between grace and and faith. So what we've seen this morning as we look at this passage is two contrasting realities. Death and sin and life in Christ. We've explored very briefly five words in this passage that take us from death to life. Revelation, hope, power, grace, and faith. So now what? So now what? How do we respond to this new reality? I was scrolling through Facebook the other night and a friend of mine from college posted this on his, on his page. He said, tonight during devotion I ask, what does it mean to be wise? His son, who I think is like six or seven years old, something along those lines, his son responded to that question. What does it take to be wise? His son's answer, when God speaks, listen. Verse 10 of this passage says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in, him, in them. Friends, I know that sometimes life is mysterious. 
We don't always know what's next. We don't even always know when next is going to happen. But God has given us a very clear, He has given us very clear instructions in this life that He has prepared for us to walk in them. He has given us the revelation, the hope, the power, the grace, and the faith to live a life in Christ for His glory. Now, I don't know. I don't know whether you should stay or go. I don't know whether you should take that job or not. I don't know if you should marry that person or break it off now. I don't know whether you should have the surgery or wait. I don't know whether you need to buy the business, the house, or the car. But I do know, unequivocally, I do know that you are called to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I do know that we are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. I do know that we are called to share the gospel with all creation. We, I do know that we are called to make disciples of all nations. I do know that we're to think of others ahead of ourselves and, and put their needs ahead of ours. I do know that God has called us to be men and women of His Word and that we are to read and study and live by it. And I do know that we are called to be a people of prayer, continually bowing before His holiness. We look at passages like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and we say, God, what path of good works have you called me to? What path have you called me to? Should I go to the left or to the right? Should I take this door next? He has called you to this. He has called you to hear His revelation. He has called you to experience His hope. He's called you to rest in His power, know His grace, and live by faith. That death will pass into life and God will be honored and glorified in our lives. And the details of the day will work themselves out as we follow God. Just do. Just do what we know to do and let God take care of the rest. I pray this morning I pray this morning that you have genuinely experienced new life in Christ. That you are living a regenerate life. If not, you can. You can simply by faith that God is extending His grace to you even now. We can repent and we can believe. If you have experienced new life, if you have experienced regeneration, I pray that we are walking in this reality and that we are sharing the good news with a lost world. Because, beloved, the message of God is the only hope that there is to transform, to transition from death to life.
I want to close this morning with a prayer that we started with on the video. It's from a little book called The Valley of Vision, a collection of Puritan prayers and devotion. This one's titled Regeneration. O God of the highest heaven, occupy the throne of my heart. Take full possession and reign supreme. Lay low every rebel lust. Let no vile passion resist thy holy war. Manifest thy mighty power and make me thine forever. Thou art worthy to be praised with my every breath, loved with my every faculty of soul, served with my every act of life. Thou hast loved me, espoused me, received me, purchased me, washed favored, clothed, adorned me when I was worthless, vile, spoiled, polluted. I was dead in iniquity, having no eyes to see thee, no ears to hear thee, no taste to relish thy joy, no intelligence to know thee. But thy spirit has quickened me has brought me into a new world as a new creature, has given me spiritual perception, has opened to me thy word as light, guide, soulless joy. Thy presence is to me a treasure of unending peace. No provocation can part me from thy sympathy, for thou hast drawn me with cords of love, and dost forgive me daily, hourly. Oh, help me to walk worthy of thy love, my, of my hopes, of my vocation. Keep me, for I cannot keep myself. Protect me that no evil befall me. Let me lay aside every sin admired of many. Help me to walk by thy side, lean on thy arm, hold converse with thee that henceforth I may be salt of the earth and a blessing to all. Father, this morning I pray as we have encountered your word that each one of us have taken 